I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it is gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. Your hosts, David, Scott, and Jim, guide you through the chronological epic story of Dune. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. I'm David Moulton. And I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And we're walking through the Dune books in chronological order. This month, we're talking about House Harkonnen, the second book in the Prelude to Dune series. Uh, Just a reminder, if you haven't read the book in a while, or if you didn't have time to finish, you can check out our follow-up show that goes along with this called Dune in 10, where we summarize the entire book in roughly 10 minutes. Uh, It's a bit quick, so prepare yourself for that. (laughs) It's a wild ride. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, in this story, we saw a lot of things happening. We saw uh, kind of what it was like to be in House Harkonnen and how their uh, evil, bad nature is kind of fostered through the way they bring bring them up and how there's not all bad people in the family and, and what they do to the people who aren't as bad-hearted as they are. We also saw a love triangle between Leto and Kylea and uh, Lady Jessica and uh, kind of what that led to, kind of reminiscent of Leto's father. And we also explored the stories of Gertie Halleck and Duck in Idaho. Yep. So that's what happened in this one. Yep, and the Fremen. Yeah, oh, yep. Then we had uh, the... We keep forgetting the Fremen. Yeah, we keep forgetting. How <laughs> keep forgetting? Pardot Kynes uh, and his son Liet and their kind of journey in passing the uh, Imperial planetologists... Yeah. Line well, and that also ties in again a little bit into the X storyline for a little bit there. Yeah, yeah. That, so yeah. that's the that's the main big things that are happening in this story. Lots of lots and lots of stuff happening. Yeah. Uh, it's just like uh, I don't. It's it, a different kind of action packed. Like things were moving, but it wasn't per se action. It just like yeah. action things were happening. So yeah. So, I, I, so, uh, so, what, what did you think of this book? In, like in comparison with the first one, um, Jim, why don't we go to you? When you look at this book in light of uh, its its immediate prequel, which was House uh, Atreides, mm-hmm. how does this book line up for you? I mean, what what did you think of in comparison? We don't need to rate it yet, but just overall general thoughts. Right. Well, it was it was definitely a continuation of the story before. Um, and uh it was awesome i just really love i tore through this book uh could not stop reading uh great great book mm-hmm. how about for you david yeah i think this is my favorite book that we've read so far and uh i don't know what it was i mean we all know how what happened last time how we finished it like yeah six in the morning so, so what, any confessions, Dave? No, this this time I was I was I was done well last night. Plenty of time to do other things, uh, but I found this book so much easier to read. I don't know. I didn't necessarily tear through at the speed you guys did, but I definitely felt like when I was reading it, it was moving. I was reading faster, uh, and I was enjoying it a lot more. Yeah, well, you know, I would have to agree with that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of action that's happening. When I say action, it's not necessarily like battles and stuff like that, but there's definitely a lot of action. It moves, the story moves fairly quickly. Um, and you know, in this one, a, you know, in contrast to Atreides, uh, we're not getting much emperor in this one. Yeah. yeah. I noticed that, like I said, oh, wait, not that I was missing him. I mean, I mean, and there were a few parts, like he's swimming in the pool at the once section and uh but i think that was that's the only part i can remember of the emperor well it's like he was there in the beginning yeah and then it just kind of like his his stuff with fendering just kind of drifted off and right. about midway through mm-hmm. when they make that um 
couple year jump in right. the center. Like you don't hear much from him after right. that. Right. So, yeah, it's interesting because I'm like, you have to wonder what's going to come. The next book is House Carino. So, but, so they has to be central there. Yeah. They must've just kept it all for that. Right. Right. Yeah. But well, why don't we move into our, uh, talking about some of our favorite points of plot and, um, we can take this, I guess, a couple different ways. Um, we certainly can talk about it by the houses, but why don't we, why don't we talk about favorite moments and then we'll fill in with any uh, house stuff or any groups of people that mm-hmm. we think stand out. And David, why don't we start with you here? Tell me a little bit, tell me a, a favorite moment, limited to one, because we, we will go around the table for this. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, phew, man. <clears throat> I think most most of my favorite parts were just basically dunking on the on the Guinness Islands. Uh, I think something that really kind of stood out to me was when the Grumman guys were getting taken off the island, and the one guy's like, "Well, you're you're weak because you stick to your rules." And Duncan is smart enough to realize that the guy has a good point, but knows that now's not the time to speak out about it. And it's kind of like the, the guy was right. You know, oh, yeah. kind of foreshadowing of like, yeah, they're gonna foreshadowing at the end. Of, yeah, um, yeah, they're gonna that. they're gonna eat it because of this situation and how Duncan learned from that early on, and he didn't uh, he kept he kept that lesson. So does that make Duncan and his what's his comrade's name? I forget. Reeser. The Reeser. He it's like H I I H right? Yeah, he like Reeser. Yeah. So. Um, does that make him and Duncan the last Swordmasters? No, there's a lot. There's a lot more. I mean, they destroyed the entire island. No, I, don't th- I mean, there's a lot of guys there. At the end of the well, book, well, I mean, the last initiated one. Oh, do from they, their group. Yeah. Well, and do they train any more from then on out? Oh, yeah, they definitely train. They definitely train. More. Okay, see, so yeah, I haven't yeah, read that. It's been yeah, a long yeah, time, yeah. so I haven't read the rest of the books. Yeah, but they kind of appear that way at least a little bit. Well, yeah. Well, you get the se- sense that the school has changed forever. You know, mm-hmm. like this is maybe they've learned and they're going to learn to an extreme right. about this, you know. Yeah. Well, they, they saw themselves as being uh, almost invincible. Mm-hmm. And so now they realize that that they can be gotten to and they're going to have to raise their guard a little bit. Right. 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 I mean, it was, it was almost goes back to that, like, inaction is not always action, or it's one of the quotes that Elrude had, had right. given. And they just thought because they never did anything and because they were so neutral that no one would dare attack them. Well, you know, it's not unlike uh, Ablard. Uh, really, the story is a parallel of the Ablard storyline, you know, because he's not violent and because he has this huge love and care for the people that he kind of governs, that who in the heck would ever want to harm him? Are yeah. the people he works for. Right. Well, it's, it's total naivety. And that's kind of the sword masters are the same way. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a parallel storyline in the story. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Jim, how about you? Uh, do you have a favorite moment for you? Well, David stole my thunder there. Oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> but my, I guess my second favorite storyline in this book was, uh, was Leto Atreides and, uh, uh, how things were just seemed to be going along quite well for him and things were working out good and, uh, things, he was getting everything together and then all of a sudden everything went bad. Yeah. Everything goes hell. You know, yeah. it was, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what. I, I wept when I read about the death of Victor. Yeah. That was, that was, that was a, that was a real poignant moment in this book. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I read that, and I the next morning I went to school, and a couple of people said, "You seem kind of down today." <laughs> wow! And you, 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 you have the heart to tell them that it was because of a fictional character. <laughs> I I told a couple of people that I trust. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and now you just told the whole Dude Saga podcast listening <laughs> audience, but <laughs> yes, everybody, I I was I was really down over that yeah. moment. Well, you know, it's. It's funny because they, they do develop Victor a little bit. You, you see his interaction and he's not developed enough for you to, to form a real strong attachment like some of the characters that we've lost. Um, but at the same time, there's this idea of there's this kid and, uh, um, 
it certainly has a pretty uh, strong impact, especially um, in the in the light of everything. You know, and that that brings up the I mean, the whole when it goes to Alfredo, it's kind of heading that direction because of the Harkin and Plant, the lady that's kind of the um, the nurse to Kalia, and then obviously Victor. Uh, it's heading south just because of what she's whispering to Kalia, mm-hmm. and she of course after it's way too late realizes she's been duped and uh, takes care of it herself. Right. Um, right. But it's a, uh, it, it is, it's very much of a tragedy. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I got a great deal of satisfaction out of Kylea jumping, jumping out of the window. <laughs> I would have, I would have gotten a lot more satisfaction if she had been dealt with by Thufer or <laughs> someone like well, that. Who was who the, uh, who was the guard that they stole the identity uh, card from? The ID uh, card? Guari. Yeah, Guari. So like, like, I was hoping that he would have done something. Yeah. Like he, like there was a point where he's like, you think, well, he's going to do something mm. and he doesn't. He's left live and yeah. all that, but. Yeah. Um, well, he has, he has to live the rest of his life with what he did. Yeah. And that's, and that, that would be horrible punishment for a person, especially someone who went in. And was unawares that he was going to be duped the way he was. Yeah. And that, you know, I think that's the thing. Like, okay, was he complicit? Absolutely. But it's one of those things where it was his ignorance that got him into trouble. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Ignorance of the law is absolutely no excuse. Yeah. Ignorance of the law and his love of a woman. Yeah. That was not Mm -hmm. his. Mm -hmm. Especially when it wasn't even his woman to begin with. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And that. Um, so, uh, jumping ahead, does it, does he play into future storylines that you remember? Not that I recall. Okay. So just kind of a character we see here and yeah, play this part. How about you? Your, oh, so a, a favorite moment. Um, you guys pick some good ones. Um, let me go along the lines of a character line that, that, I wouldn't say it's a favorite moment, but it's a memorable storyline for me. And that is a Gurney Hallett storyline. Mm-hmm. Like, especially from the get-go when we see him in, in his little village with his family and, and then he gets the tar kicked out of him. And it's kind of viewed as a mercy by the Harkening guards. Um, but his sister's taken. And so it's kind of a f- foreshadowing. Uh, for his wife, I guess, eventually. Is that correct? Or is it, no. or is it, is it always his sister? Yeah. Um, in, in the one movie, is it his wife? No, I, you're thinking of Yui. Oh, I'm thinking of Yui? Yeah, Yui. Yeah, Yui's wife. Yui's uh, wife. Yeah. Oh, so, but anyways, so Ger- Gurney Hallett, right? Uh, you, know, you feel for him. Like his sister's taken and all he wants to do is get his sister back and he figures out where he's at and goes to rescue her and then sees that the terrible things he's done and that bit of hesitation ends him in, in like, this terrible torment um, that he gets into, and, and his whole escape um, in the um, in the little uh, stones that Leto just happens to be ordering from the Harkonnens unknowingly, and and his whole joining with the Ixban is just it's neat to kind of yeah. see him make that progression in that 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 journey, and it was hard because you know. Brian Herbert and Kevin G. Anderson, they describe in every bit of detail <laughs> yeah, when yeah. stuff terrible happens. Mm-hmm. And I just find some of that stuff just a bit hard to stomach. I mean, I read it, but I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Oh, you know. Oh. Yeah. So Ger- the Gurney Hallett storyline was a interesting storyline. Like when we got back, when we, we kept coming back to it, I was like, oh, this is good. This yeah. is good. Um, and trying to figure out how it's going to be. Because he wasn't educated. So it was like, how is he going to get? I mean, for for Duncan, he, you know, he was a kid, so you figure if he could kind of sneak into things, right? But for Gurney, like he's a full grown muscular man, right? And he's not educated in the world and kind of what's going on. So he's it's a lot harder for him to hide and get stuff done than it is, you know, a yeah. nine year old kid to get around. Yeah. Well, he has to fight by his wits, and obviously, he doesn't have the tools he needs to stand up to the Harkonnens. Yeah. 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 And and he winds up getting his butt kicked several times in this book. Oh yeah, he does. Would he you does. say that his story was a little anticlimactic, though? I mean, because he uh, kind of just cut off. And well, I'm going to tell you that the part that disappoints me in his story is actually one of the final scenes you see him in, and that's the one with. So 
the guard that has lost his key card is in prison at the end and, and Gertie Hallett comes and offers him a quick way out, a suicide out. Mm -hmm. And I, I was a little bit let down by that. Um, especially coming from Gertie Hallett, um, that he would view this as being such a quick way, knowing his own story, yeah, his own story of injustice and everything. And so I felt like, ah, and so I'm glad that Leto kind of stepped in and said, you know what? We're going to let you live with this for the rest of your life. It's worse punishment than ever. Yeah. <clears throat> I just, it, to me, it was just like, okay, he hides away. And like Duncan, you had every sense of like, you knew all of his stuff. Like when he got to, to Caldan, like how he walked, you know, across the continents or whatever. With Gurney, like he escapes from, uh, Giddy Prime. And then two, three chapters later, they just, the kid, you know, the, um, Liette just walks in a room and they're like, oh, hey, this is Gurney Halleck. He's right. been working. He's with on Seleucus Secundus. Yeah, he's yeah. on Seleucus Secundus. He's been working with us for a while. It just, Worked out that he eventually came here. Yeah. I mean, at one hand, it's like, oh, cool, Gurney's there. But I feel like there was, <clears throat> there either wasn't enough time that we hadn't, since we hadn't talked to him in the story, or there was something missing in between. Uh, you know, part of me wanted to see how he survived the ride in the whole slag pile when he, like, stuck himself with those things that made him unconscious, right? I don't forget yeah. what they were called. Um, but, you know, Part of me wanted to see like how he actually transversed that. Mm-hmm. And so I was just a little bit disappointed in that. Um, but I also understand the fact that we're trusting the reader to put two and two together here. Yeah. And so there's a little bit like you have to decide when do you overtell. I mean, this was not a short book to begin with. Right, that's true. I mean, um, the next book's just a little bit shorter. So I, I don't know. I know. Jim, do you have a feeling in that? Yeah, I was, I, I would have liked to have gotten a little more of, of Gurney's story. But, um, you know, it, it is, the title was House Harkonnen. And, uh, Gurney will become important, quite a bit more important in the, in the original Dune book. Right. Right. So, you know, per, perhaps, perhaps the backstory isn't all that important. Yeah. yeah. You know, and he, yeah, and so, at least, I mean, he's, he is, of course, is kind of, oh, he is, he, of course, is kind of introduced in the, in this book and that becomes a central role. Yui is another person that becomes central in this book and obviously plays into the original, uh, Dune books a little bit. Yeah. Do you want to talk about any, anything about him? He's not, I mean, this isn't really kind of my favorite point, but, um. Let me do it? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah. so Yui's a Sook doctor and he works for the Ricci's family or one of the Ricci people, uh, in the house, um, and uh, for him, he's called to Gidi Prime uh, by the Baron who bribes the uh, the guy who owns him. Uh, the way the Sook doctors work is they're kind of like kind of like a mentat. They're kind of their services are purchased, right? And then um, and, and whoever he's working for is out of money. They were pretty bankrupt, yeah. And House Arconin could give him money, give him money. But the the Sook doctors are like uh, conditioned. To never betray or be swayed from the person yeah. that they're hired to. So it took a lot to get him to uh, diagnose the Baron and come up with what disease he was stricken with. Right. Um, so that's his connection to House Harkonnen. Right. Uh, and then he's also the leader of uh, cyborg components. Right. When he, he of course, comes into um, uh, who's Leto's friend from X? Cromberg. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, Romber. So he comes into Romber's storyline. Ironically, um, his his bionics are made by the Harkons. Harkons. <laughs> so, well, yeah, well, the Ricci, no, the Ricci's, yeah, funded but, from funded, the funded. Yeah, I mean, I guess at the end he it wasn't one hundred percent. I guess he must be purchased by Leto at that point. It didn't make it seem like he was completely purchased, but I know that in Dune he's the Atreides Sook Doctor. So somewhere in this line here, he must become a permanent fixture of House House Atreides. However, that works. Yeah, I'm well, not sure and, if and, this was it. Or when Atreides does have a connection to the house he was working for, right? Well, yeah, the Ricci's house. Yeah, yeah so the Ricci's house. That because technically Leto's. Uh, what did, I forget his, what they call mother? it. Through his mother. Yeah, through his, his mother. Ricci's. Yeah, so I guess that that, that plays into it. So. Yeah. Are there are there other uh, parts or favorite parts that you had in this story, David? For me, I'm, man, I loved so much of it. I can, <laughs> I can just pull out favorite, any other specific favorite favorite moments. moments. Uh, most of the Duncan stuff and the Gurney stuff was, those were my two favorite guys in the original book. So I saw the uh, well, Jim. How about you? 
I got to say, I, I really admire Romber. You know, the guy's got a good sense of humor. He's got a positive attitude. Yep. You know, every everything in his life has gone against him, and he's not going to let it get him down. And even at the end, when he has half of his body blown away, <laughs> I know. he's still laying there. Still laying there joking around. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's awesome. That's, that's inspiring. Yeah. And every time Kylia came on the scene, I just got mad. How much do you have to like pound into that girl's Wait. head that nothing's going to change? You know, well, here's see, the and thing. That, that's yeah. like the Sook doctors. You know what? I, I dislike Yui already. I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, yep. They are so darn mercenary. And, uh, you know, and we'll go for the highest bidder. I, I, it's to me, that's kind of a non sequitur. You know, they're supposed to be loyal. They're supposed to have this conditioning, but whoever's ready to foot the bill, they're, they're there for. I think yeah. that's really a, a Brian Herbert, Kate, Kevin J. Anderson, like take on the, yeah, the thing. Maybe. I never really got that from the original stuff that they were so mercenary. Yeah. You know, Kalia is, is interesting because at the beginning of the book, you don't really hate her. No, you don't. No, and they, and they do a complete 160 transformation. So, so much so. Uh, now, now, Jim, I, I won't stand by your sentiment that I was glad she jumped out the window, but I, because uh-huh. I could, but I did feel up to the point where she has this revelation that she's been duped and that her world has been torn away. I was, I mean, I hated her at that point. Yeah. And so, um, it's a tragic loss at the end when she suddenly realizes what she's done and everything that she's been responsible for and how she's been duped in the process um, and then have her lost. You have to wonder if Leto could have prevented it because he saw that what's her name was Kim, like uh, putting stuff in her ear, but he didn't have the heart to take away her uh, chamber lady. So are you saying the Atreides are too nice? <sighs> yeah, maybe. I also thought it was it was kind of part of me thought it was interesting, part of me thought it was kind of boring how he basically was living out his father's life, you know. A little bit. Yeah. And it the, was the, the premise at least. Yeah. It it, it it called uh something a quote that in my mind was from actually Children of Dune, which is spoken from uh Oh shoot. I can't remember her name, but what, she's a Carino, uh, the the lead lady Carino in, in that. And she says, the sins of the parents are blooming the children. Right. And that's just kind of what I was seeing. The, his mm. parents, it was blooming in his relationship because that's what he had been in. So. Yeah. You know, the other, uh, I think the other storyline for me that, that I really enjoyed and loved when they went back to, is that a, uh, is it, is it Kater, uh Pilaru? An X, yeah. That the, the, the kind of the underground resistance, yeah. Um, and uh, we were talking about Romber. One of my favorite moments is when they broadcast Romber's face all over the roof of the cavern. Yeah, I'm just like yes. And then of course it doesn't lead anywhere, <laughs> you know. But but and, and and actually that was one. I have just a little bit of disappointment in that storyline because I don't. And maybe it's resolved in the third book. All right, uh, but in this book I felt like we were left hanging. You know, they started something, uh, and then the woman that he loves is taken and then, uh, and, and, and they get caught and they have, they do some damage and there's a lot of neat stuff that he's doing and he's connecting with his brother across, you know, the, the yeah. ocean liner and it kind of can, and then they kind of somehow connect to, you know, House Vernies, uh, Dominic Vernies, you know, they, they connect with him, um, but it was just a disappointing end, I felt, to the Vernies family and also to the uh to that story of the underground movement. And I so don't I'm think hoping it's over. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure it's not. I haven't read the third book. Have you started the third book yet, Jim? No, not not yet. Yeah. So, yeah. so. Uh, I have two complaints about this book. Go ahead. I know that we're talking about favorite things, but you you just hit one of the things that when I read it the first time made me really upset okay. years and years ago. Uh, the axolotl tanks. And they give them away in this book, and that is a huge secret throughout the other books. A huge reveal, and that's kind of. That, I was just like disappointed that they they give it away so easily in this book, and it just that that bothered me a lot. 
Um, and the other thing was... Is that like, means nothing to me. Nothing. <laughs> well, okay, so I'll ask you this question. What is an axonic tank? Did you pick up on it? Um, no. Okay, Jim, did you pick up on it? it it's a, Isn't it a duplicating uh, thing where they, they can put something in there and duplicate it? That That's how they make the golas, right? Yeah. 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 It's it's women. They're they take women and they use their wombs and they like turn them into these big flesh tanks and they grow things. Oh, they grow things. Holy moly! Inside of women. <laughs> That's why all the women were being kidnapped. And then he looked in and saw his girlfriend on the on the. She was turned into one. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like it's like this thing where everyone in the universe thinks that they're these like mechanical tanks. And like, uh, especially even in, um, uh, Legend of Dune, Legends of Dune, they went and they just saw like the things floating in the, in the tanks, growing in the tanks. So that was a facade. Right. And that the real things that they grow them is, is, is they grow them inside of the womb of, of, uh, uh, the brain dead, they, they brain dead the women and then they grow them in there. And that's why you never see any female. Telexu. Oh, that's true. Because they just clone themselves. That's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but it's given away in the scene. Uh, if you, I mean, if, you, if you're familiar, and it's just kind of like, ah. Well, see, and it's been so long since I've read the original Dune series, as you guys all know. Yeah. So yeah. it's not a giveaway for me yet. But yeah, so. I think I think I go into it more because in the in the next book, if I remember correctly, so. and that was a. Uh, oh, I'm gonna have to read that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, read it again. He'll talk about he 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 says. Uh, he looks in, he sees these tanks, and he says, it's the women. I remember the scene. Yeah. And then he sees his girlfriend, or whatever her name is. It's a scene where he's almost caught. Yeah, it's yeah. a scene where he's almost caught. Uh, the other big... So then... Go ahead. So then, so then are they surrogates that... Uh, are they implanted into the women? Uh, so it's it's like they mutate the women into these giant tanks. Right. I think that they can open them and stuff, you know, not by just through... Uh, oh my gosh! And, and they <laughs> they place cells in them, and they and the cells will grow like a child into an arm or into a whole a whole body, and then they age them faster. I'm and then, I'm going to need a month's worth of therapy now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go, we'll get into it a lot deeper you, later. You, trust you, me. You thought Victor's death is bad. Just wait till you find out about this. Yeah. It <laughs> oh into, gosh! It comes into a bigger play later. It's it's that that whole species is. Um. But so the other thing that really bothered me about this, well, can I can I book? tag right, on to? Yeah. I just want to tag on to what you're saying. It it makes me like when Leto is debating whether to resurrect Victor through oh, that yeah. that part. I was so disturbed, so disturbed that he was even considering it. Yeah, and so very glad at the end when he walks out and says, "That's it." Yeah, and they're, and they're preparing. I knew, I knew that Leto wouldn't let that happen. Well, I knew, I, too, I knew just from subsequent books. But. From the time they started that storyline, I knew that was not going to happen. I mean, even knowing what happens in the future, there yeah. was no way he would let he would allow that. It's, yeah. it's kind of cool what it foreshadows, though, uh, for those – I won't give it away for Scott, but for those who know ahead of how the Atreides are unwilling to let go of the dead and when offered uh, a replacement of someone who's died, if they're willing to take that or not. Yeah. So I, I think I, I think I know what you're channeling there, David. I really yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, fine. Keep me in the dark. <laughs> I care. No. <laughs> no. So you had another thing that really bothered you about the book. Yeah, and this is kind of I think now that we're in the second one, I think it's it's not just the book; it's the series, and it bothers me, but not like I don't know, just a little bit. And that's it. It feels like everyone has some sort of crazy heartthrob, amazing story. Like every character that we're familiar with from the original series has some like horrible, horrible backstory that brought them to House of Trades. It's like no one is just, oh, I, you know, I worked my way through the rank. Like Ernie Halleck didn't just work his way through the ranks and wasn't just an exceptional warrior. He he was, you know, he escaped from Giddy Prime. And like Duncan Idaho wasn't just a sword master. He escaped from Giddy Prime. And, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, Yui didn't just... Uh, wasn't just the doctor. He helped the Baron. Uh, he told the Baron what his thing was. It's like all this kind of like crazy backstory to every single character. It's like uh, 
Tufir Howitt is the only one who has like a, a normal background. I was going to say he, he has a normal background. <laughs> yeah. Yet, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe in the next book he escaped from Giddy Prime. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the only thing. Like they make for really good stories, but at the same time, I'm like, really, every single time we go back to the Harkonnens to get to the Atreides. Yeah, we know we haven't really talked about the Harkonnens too much here, and we yeah. probably need to do them a little bit of service as well. You know. The Harkonnens, um, apart from, I mean, Ablerd, I love the Ablerd storyline and my heart just was broken every time he was laid into it. Whether it was oh, his yeah. son who, you know, kills the, 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 the whales or, you know, and, and, uh, the, the thieving of the son and then the killing of his father-in-law and then his, his death in the end. It was just, his storyline is just absolutely tragic, mm-hmm. absolutely tragic from the get-go. And, uh, there were so many times I just wanted him to raise up a gun and just kill his son and be done with it. Yeah. That's what I was hoping would happen. Yeah. And it never did. Yeah. I wanted. We have to wonder where did, when did, like, when did it go wrong? I mean, they don't, they don't tell you. No, like, they don't. You just get hints. Yeah. Like, when did his son say, heck with this? My, my dad's a pansy. I'm going to work for yeah. my uncle. You know, it gets so evil, so God. so blatantly the beast, immoral. Yeah, what do you what what do you guys think of his punishment at the very end? <laughs> I, I thought it, I thought it was great because I, I especially like the part where the Baron's just like, not that I mind that he killed my brother. I just didn't, right. didn't like that he didn't ask my permission. Right, right. I, I would have liked to de- deal with him. I would have dealt with him eventually, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm not sure if he knows how to swim, but we have people standing by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just wanted to make him know that the beast could be controlled. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, but you know, we I think the other important um, storyline is we have the loss of the null ship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this great technology just thrown away because of the beast. Right. Uh, tries to use it to impress the Baron, and as a result. So, and the, here we have the Bene Gesserit using slightly psychic abilities that I think I had mentioned before. Right. We weren't really seeing any psychic remnants of the, um, who were they called from the legend? Oh, the uh, sorcerers. Yeah, yeah, sorcerers. Yeah. yeah. So you see the remnant of that kind of yeah. aching through here a little bit and that they can not be seen, choose not to be seen. Yeah. If they concentrate, so, I guess. Yeah. Um, but interesting standoffishness, uh, you know, the coming back of, his disease and him discovering what it is and being unable to do anything about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. What was your take on the Harkonnens, Jim? Um, yeah, the total evil. I mean, yeah. they don't, they don't have any respect for life whatsoever and not even their own. Um, they're all about profit yeah. and they're all about, uh, feathering their own nest. So and, they're the perfect uh, Ferengi is what you're saying? Uh, I don't know. I like the Ferengi better. Oh, me too. <laughs> me too. They're at least a little at bit more the decent. Fer- yeah. The, the well, the Ferengi are at least funny. Yeah. <laughs> no, the the Baron is, uh, is uh, well. I'm sure he's he's really not happy about the way he got treated by the Bene Gesserit, even though it was revenge. Um, you know, and Raban, uh, I'm not sure. How did he wind up with the Baron rather than his own father? We don't really know. I guess at some point the Baron just been, must have said he's my heir apparent and taken him under his wing at some point. Next thing you okay, know. Okay, that, yeah. that would make sense. He, he took him away because he, he had no, he had no heir and had no interest in, in getting a legitimate one. Right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It, uh, they are totally different from the Harkonnens that we knew from, uh, Legends of Dune. Totally, totally different. Oh, yeah. I mean, they have just soured to the point where there's no, remnants as to what they used to be, except for Abelard, which is kind of funny because I feel like, he very much namesake and character wise was very much like the Abelard at the Bridge of Hrthgar 
you know, trying to look out for the people. Yeah. Yeah, Abelard's a hippie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Abelard's a hippie. Abelard's a hippie. <laughs> we got a we got a bigger grasp of the Benny Jesuit in this one and how they're kind of involved in everything yeah, and manipulating kind of, everything. Their hands are involved in everything. Uh except that Jessica's kinda of going rogue. Yeah. And Yeah, that's uh that's an interesting thing there too. She's falling in love, so to speak. Yeah. Literally. But Yeah. Right? Well, they're not supposed to. They're the they're supposed to be channeling every all their efforts and everything into producing the Kwisatz Haderach. Right. And yeah. Je- Jessica is going off in a different direction. Of course, those of us that have read the original books or saw the movie, we we know what direction that's going in. Right. Yeah. Well, it cha- and it it changes that. I mean, because the uh, it bumps that up a generation, doesn't it? Well, mm-hmm. there's. Yeah. I mean, yeah it, they're it, not it, sure if it's going to work. Right. So. But through, I mean, through Paul. Yeah. Well, okay. yeah. Yeah. Who is the real Cuisette Hatterick? That is the real question. Yeah, that is the question. Could yes. be Could be three people. Could be three people. Yeah. So. Uh, so, uh, vote, throw your votes in. Who your, is? Who is the real Cuisette who, who is the real one? Let's uh, look down. Any, anyone we're missing? We haven't really talked much about the Fremen or the Spacing Guild, so let's touch on those. I think we need to hit those yet. Um, let's talk about the Fremen first. What's going on in Fremen world? Jim, these are your guys. Let's hear it from you, man. <laughs> They're your peeps, yo. Well, yeah. Um, it was kind of sad to say, see the way that, um, oh, now, now the name gets away from me. Leah's friend. Yeah. What is his name? Was it Warwick? Yeah, Warwick. I think it was Warwick. Warwick. Yeah. That's it. Uh, you know how they, they were out in the desert, had, they had to choose which one of them was going to survive. And, uh, you know, I like both of these guys. Oh, they're great guys. And yeah. And then Warwick, of course, got tore up by the, by the sandstorm and, and, uh, then saw himself as, as the prophet, I guess, the liaison El Gaib. Well, and, well, well, well. I'm not, I, at the one point is when he's drinking that medicine, he te- he knows he's not. He never says he is, but they interpret the fact that he's doing it as being yeah. the fact that he's done it. But there's a there's a couple lines in there that says he knew that he wasn't it. Yeah, he has the vision of it, but he turns turns the lady and he says, "I said I saw him. I didn't say I was him." Right. And then, well, yeah. The, well, and now, am I wrong in a, uh, in what I think I know? Because the liaison El Gaib is a four. Shadowing of of the Kwisatz Haderach, right? They aren't the same, right? Right. Well, yeah, it's. I think they are the same because it's um, it's the missionary protective uh, the the Sayadinas planted that that into their religion when they when the Reverend Mothers integrated into the Fremen. That's the way that right. I took it. And then they say, okay. Then they say the hawk and the and the mouse are the same, which yeah. is uh. Which is a foreshadow for Moadib. Right. 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 Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I, but, but anyways, I hear what you're saying. That the, okay. the war, the war storyline is, is tragic. There is because not only does it, but you have this great friendship. You have where they actually race and he wins the girl, right? Yeah. In that great, in the great warm race, right? Yeah. Uh, a, a great mm-hmm. disappointment to, to Liette, but then, and then he ends up with the girl, but not the way he wants and not at the expense of his friend. You see that. You hear that whole tragedy um, uh, as we're going on, and and it's just really heart wrenching. I mean, when when he comes up out of the sandstorm and he sees his friend still standing there, you're like, "It's a miracle, right?" And then he yeah. turns around, and you're like, totally aghast. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Well, and then and then I felt bad for Liet because of the way he was so torn. You know, he uh, he. Didn't he didn't want to upset his friend? He wanted to stay friends with him. He still wanted the girl, and and he had to just get away from the situation in order to save his own sanity, I guess. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, but he did he did need to get off of 
Arrakis for a while and see some other things. Yeah, well, it's, it centers him a little bit, and uh, especially when he takes over at the end as a planet as a planetologist. It's yeah. I, I mean, all that was part of uh, part of his storyline and needed to be needed to be there. I really love the yeah. the scene where he calls his dad out. Yes. Basically, where his dad's trying to be like appreciative of his son and congratulatory, but he's he just does it in the total wrong way. And Lietus has nothing left to he can't pretend that it's not an issue right. anymore. And just pretty much breaks down and tells him that he, you know, you see the planet, but you don't see the people. Right. And, that, well, and the Elder Kinds the Elder Kinds is kind of an absent minded professor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He he all he cares about is is ecology and learning and developing the planet. Um, perhaps he is unable to think of anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, he's kind of he's got this tunnel vision of what's happening. He sees it happening and tries to figure out more ways to make it better. So. Yeah. Yeah, his his death is a tra- is is a tragic loss too. Yeah. You know, when he dies yeah. at that oh, ca- yeah. in that cave in and um, just as he's reached the growth that he needed to, right? You, you know, know, it's just kind of whisked away, and uh, but you know, it makes room for these characters that are obviously going to play into the greater Dune universe as we continue. So, yeah. no, no doubt about mm-hmm. it. Um, sure. And let's talk about the Spacing Guild real quick before we move on. Um, Spacing Guild was not didn't play in an, a huge role, but we did develop the instantaneous communication, mm-hmm. and that was part of it, right? That yeah. was actually developed by his brother. Qatar and Damar. Yeah, and, and they figure they can communicate instantaneously. So that's a big development. We get that Dominic Vernies is called out by one of them and and relays a, a message from X. I think that's a big thing. Like I think that, that we don't hear a lot about the Spacing Guild in this month. In this one, we see that Qatar is trying to contact Demir and he's kind of throwing it off, throwing it off, but then in this one moment, he embraces his old humanity right. and reaches out to Dominic. He has trouble focusing at that point, right. doesn't he? He's like, yeah. he's like, yeah, just can't. So. But the fact that he did it, I think, is going to have ripples. Was it I'm sure. Ripples from that? I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we've done a pretty good job of dissecting the houses um i'm sure that someone listening is saying but you're missing this part <laughs> but th- this book is so it's so vast um yeah you know the only other thing that, that i did think about that was worth mentioning is a whole uh what are the, what's what's the name of that that the living storm that comes out over the ocean that we saw in oh, one of the very first books Elican. yeah so the elekin we saw that in the butler and jihad or not that one but the second book of that series um, on the water? Yeah, when they, when there's two sons. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, because right. his father is yeah. taken away and they're saved from Epsilon. So we see that storm there and now we're back and we see the storm again threatening and they figure out how to defeat it. Right. Which is kind of cool. That was kind of a cool scene. Yeah. But, and it's, they're called the Elecrons, right? The uh, Elecrons. Yeah, ele- yes. Yeah, it's kind of like electric. Yeah, electric. Mix Living words, electric. Yeah. Electran or something. Uh, I don't know. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. All right, why don't we move into quotes here, Jim? This is your doing. Yeah. Uh David, uh what what are your quotes tonight? Okay. Uh well, I noticed <clears throat> compared to last time, I felt like mine were short, but the ones that stuck with me, um I've got behold, oh man, you can create life, you can destroy life, but lo, you have no choice but to experience life. And therein lies both your greatest strength and your greatest weakness. And that's from the Orange Catholic Bible, Book of K- Kimla, Septima, 5-3. Uh, we haven't heard from anybody. Does anyone know of any written Orange Catholic Bible? I no, no. We, we need, we need, someone has to have gathered something there. Yeah. Um, uh, online. Moving along, I have, uh, there exists no way of exchanging information without making judgments. And that's a Benny Jesuit axiom. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, actually, I kind of alluded to this one earlier in conversation. Immobility is often mistaken for peace, and that's Emperor Elrud Carino the Ninth. So those were yeah. the ones that kind of like, uh, as I was reading through, just kind of resonated with me. So, okay, there are there? Do you have any? You want to elaborate on any of those? Or yeah, Scott, sure. Do so, you have any thoughts? <laughs> uh, I felt like the immobility is often mistaken for peace is kind of like uh, a big theme 
that we see uh, throughout all the books and even in life and how uh, one of the things that, they, that Frank Herbert drives home in the other books is that without some sort of conflict, there isn't actually any peace. And if you don't have something to rally against, you can never feel content. Uh, and that kind of, I was like, yeah, okay, I get, I kind of get that. Um, and then with the Betty Jesuit one of, uh, exchanging information without making judgments, I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that, that kind of harkens back to the, the, uh, physics of, or the, the statement of science that the observer changes the experiment. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of like taken into a real life kind of term mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So those, that's what I was really getting from those. Uh, the other one I just thought was a really cool thing to, to read and kind of take a really cool way to take a look at, uh, I guess, uh, life in general as being, being its own curse. Mm. <laughs> so. And then, uh, Scott, what about you? You said you have some quotes. <laughs> uh, I do, but, you know, since I stole your quotes last time, I'm going to let you go first here, and then I'll give my quotes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, I have, I have four. Um, let's see, never underestimate the power of the human mind to believe what it wants to, no matter the conflicting evidence. Mm-hmm. And that's from, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, Cademan Herb, or is it Sademan Herb, or something like oh, that from Politics and Reality. Mm-hmm. Okay, and another one, um, facts mean nothing when they are preempted by appearances. Do not underestimate the power of impression over reality. Um, we're at school that, that kind of resonates with me because at school we have a couple of teachers that are moving on. And, uh, I've seen it where someone where you interview somebody and they really shine when the interview comes up. But when it's time for them to perform, the appearances aren't always up to the what the first impressions were. Uh, another one was every man dreams of the future, though not all of us will be here to see it. And that was by T.O. Holtzman. Yeah, that's a throwback. My last one is from the, from the text of the book. And, and, uh, I guess it's kind of like a comic relief moment, but it leads to a very tragic thing. Uh, and here's a, an example of Abulard being, being a hippie. Okay. <laughs> the night before his, this would be Raban's father, smiled wistfully, listening to the beasts. He stood with his son out on the split log balcony, which was slick from an ever-clinging mist. Gesturing out to the narrow fjords where the dark shapes swam, Aberlerd said, mating songs, they're in love. And then the next line is, Raban wanted to kill something. <laughs> so that kind of made me chuckle until until of course I read what Raban had done. <laughs> right. So right. Well, there it is. There I, you go. I think it's interesting your first two quotes are almost saying the same thing. Uh Yes. Yeah, I th- I think that's kind of, you know, kind of it's phrased differently, but you know, when you really look at it you're like, "Oh, they're kind of same idea there." Mm. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, as since I've taken taken philosophy courses, I, I you know, there's beliefs and there's facts and and so forth and so on and how they jibe with each other. Things quotes like that always resonate with with me when I see them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love uh, so here are my quotes and I actually the, the the site that I'm pulling them from is not that they don't have who said them, so they just are from the House Harkonnen book. So, but this one I liked. It said, no person can know everything that is in the heart of another. We are all face dancers in our souls. Oh, yeah. Tulaksu said that. Yeah. So it's, it was just a, um, I thought that was a great quote. And this actually ties into your whole interviewing thing. The fact that, you know, people put on masks in their souls and they're one person one way and they're another person another. And it's hard to know, truly know everyone deeply. So. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was that was that one. Um I like this one. Some say that the anticipation of a thing is better than the thing itself. In my view, this is utter nonsense. Any fool can imagine a prize. I desire the tangible. So yeah. I don't know who said yeah, that. Yeah, now that that's an interesting one because that that's one I remember remember reading 
And uh, I guess to paraphrase, having is not as desirable or as satisfying as wanting, which is funny because I discussed this with a student the other day. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you think about that. You know, with all the Christmas gifts you've gotten over the years from when you were a kid, you like desired, oh, that, that's so cool. And you get it and it's not quite it, but the desire was so much better. Yeah. You know, so I yeah. think and there's the a an, lot of truth. The anticipation to this, of having yeah. it is just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like this one. This one I found funny. A man may fight the greatest enemy, take the longest journey, survive the most grievous wound. And still be helpless in the hands of the woman he loves. So, <laughs> How true. That's <laughs> yeah. the truth. Yeah. Um, there was one other one here. Let me, let me see if we can find it. Oh, this one I liked. It was short. There is no reality, only our own order imposed on everything. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of good. Mm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, those are some of my uh, quotes here. Um, there were there actually were a lot of good quotes in this book. There were. I, th- uh, I feel like they really foreshadowed what was going to happen in yeah. the chapters more than maybe some of the other ones did. Yeah. I don't know how. I th- uh, part of me was like, "Oh, okay," but then another part of me was like, "I mean, you kind of know what's happening in this chapter now." Yeah, I think there's I, there's mm-hmm. one more quote. There's two more quotes here. If I can share them, this this one was, I think, in reference to Gurney Hallett or somebody like that. Freedom is an elusive concept. Some men hold themselves prisoner even when they have the power to do as they please and go where they choose. Uh, Leo um, and others are free in their hearts, even as shackles restrain them. Hmm. So that was a good quote. Hmm. Yeah. So. And then the other one was, how will I be remembered by my children? This is a true measure of a man. So, hmm. so there were, again, there were just a lot of good quotes coming in through this book. So, um, well, very good. Well, yeah. uh, do you want to take us into the closing thoughts here, David? Yeah, we're okay. we're well, closing on our hour. Yeah. We're, we're getting close to the hour? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about our ratings for this book. Uh, Scott. Where do you put this one? Uh, I forget where I put the last one. This has to be this has to be in the four range, maybe even four point five. It was a well done book. It held together well. Mm-hmm. There were no there were no storylines I looked at and said, "Oh man, this is this is just dragging on." There were parts that I found I couldn't stomach, but that wasn't it wasn't bad. Um, again, there were some there were some there were some places that. Frustrated me. I think the, the X storylines frustrated me a little bit. Um, and really both on the world of X and both of the Dominic Verney's storyline, that frustrated me. But I think overall the story kept my attention. It engaged me. There wasn't a part I felt like, man, I can't wait to get rid of this storyline and move on to the next. So I, I'm going to have to give it, uh, I'm fluctuating uh, 4.25. I'll give it out of five. Okay. 4.25. 4.25. So that's definitive. <clears throat> All right. Jim, how about you? Well, the last one I remember giving it a 4.5, and I'm going to give this one a 4.55 because uh, – I like it. I, I Yeah, I, I really did like it. Uh, it was engaging. I didn't want to stop reading, as I said before. But um, it, I like the way that the book followed the lines, even though it was jumping back and forth all the time. But it was it was continuous all the way through. You, I didn't get lost at all. Um, uh, yeah, I I just thought it was really really good. Awesome. Well, and how about you, Dave? Uh, you know, I think this might be a rarity so far, but I'm going to rate this one a four point eight. I almost <laughs> gave this a five star rating. Wow, I'm impressed. For, yeah, if it wasn't for the fact that I kind of felt that whole like. Constantly, everyone had to struggle through some sort of Harkonnen trap to right. get to get anywhere in the stories. <laughs> I probably would have given it a five five. Uh, whatever it was about this book, I felt like it was easier to read. Felt like we were in this world that we spent the last book creating, and you know the other three books putting the backstory to, and we were just running with it. You know, there wasn't a lot. You didn't need to world build, but it didn't need to be action. It just kind of was able to. You were just able to go with the flow, mm. and I loved that. Did you feel that this mm. book? Did a better job. You know how people complain like every chapter they had to rehash what had happened before? Yeah. Uh, did you feel that way about this book as much as you felt that about some of the prior books? No. 
I didn't feel like it was coming up quite as often. Or it was more subtle if it did. Yeah. Yeah. I know that I definitely didn't feel that in House of Trades, and I really didn't even, it didn't even come to mind that much in this one. Okay. Now, when I was looking at the bad reviews for our listener feedback show, some people were saying that, and I was like, okay, I mean, I guess I kind of remember that happening a little bit, but never to any super strong degree. Right. Right. Well, very good. So, all right, good. We have a good round there. We're all on the fours on that one. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you guys think is going to happen next? What do you expect the story to – where do you expect the story to kind of go? Well, I think one of the obvious places it's going to go is you're going to see the tension between the Bene Gesserit and Jessica flare up as soon as the sun's born. Um, we know the sun's coming because of what was hinted at in this book. So uh, how is Leto going to react to that? How is the Bene Gesserit going to react to that? How are the Harkonnens going to react to that? And heck, how is the House Carino going to react to Leto having a son? Um, Carino, again, is kind of a mystery. It's They're obviously going to be forefront being that this is House Carino that we're going to be reading. Um, I am interested in seeing the cyborg uh, romber at work because we, yeah. we see it introduced but don't really see anything happen. Yeah. Um, Will people accept that? That's the- yeah. That be you know, or will it be too close to uh, a Cymac, You know, and this becomes this becomes uh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. How about uh, you, Jim? Well, I'm I'm uh, looking very much forward to seeing how uh, the Harkonnens fall uh, out of favor in running Arrakis. Or if if it's just a trap to get rid of Leto, why? How they're justifying that? Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing Gurney grow uh, and get a little more on on what he's up to, and uh, and Duncan Idaho, what makes him so great to keep coming back in the future? Uh, little spoiler there, um, yeah. and then to see what what Paul's young life is like. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Because this, this is, is, it, this, is this, yeah. this is the book that be before Dune starts. So this takes us up to Dune, this next Yeah, I book. think it's like 12 years before or something like that. Yeah, so yeah. We're, 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 yeah. we're taking probably as much as we're going to get. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess I I, I, I kind of <laughs> want to see if if Paul is, is spoiled. Because I think that, that um, Leto would spoil him after what happened to his other son. And I kind of got that feeling at the beginning of the, of Dune that he was kind of, you know, a little bit of a spoiled brat going to Arrakis. And, you know, he kind of gets thrust out of that. He wasn't like a horrible person or whatever, but he also wasn't, you know, wanting for anything. Right. Um, spoiled, spoiled and perhaps overprotected. Which, yeah. which maybe is a bit different than uh, Leto's father did, because Leto's father was all about him connecting with the common man, right? And getting his hands dirty in order to understand that. We don't. Maybe we don't see that in Paul. It'd be interesting to see if that plays out in Paul right. at all. The other thing I'm, I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to learning about more is I don't really remember a lot of House Carino. Um, it, the relationship between Elrude or Shaddam and and Leto, and how that's gonna separate more and more and that his uh, popularity in the Lancerad affecting how the Emperor sees him as a threat more and more. Which he introduced in House Atreides, but then right. didn't play much with in here. Right, but you get the sense with the how he's mediating and other things that he's, right. he, he still has that popularity and people right. still look at him highly. Even though he doesn't do a whole lot. Well, and they mention that just briefly in this book when he's like, how did he find out about this whole you know, discussion. I don't know about it. And Fenry said, well, I've been sending you the, uh, the little scrolls. You haven't been reading them. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that's going to, that's going to be interesting. So yeah, there's lots of cool things to come ahead. Uh, so we've got about a month until we, we sit down to talk about house Carino. Yeah. We'll, we'll let know, we'll let you know the date on our website (laughs) because we didn't talk about that yet, but it'll probably be toward the end of April. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Remember, you can email us your thoughts on the book and your review of, of House Carino to dunesakapodcast at gmail.com, or you can call our voicemail at 188-508-4343. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash dunesakapodcast, and on Twitter at, at dunesakapodcast. And you can join in the conversation at any one of those places, 
Yeah. Or at our main hub, which yeah. is dudesagapodcast.com. And uh, one other thing we want to mention is that next month we will be doing this show live complete with chat room. Yeah. So we talked about it tonight and we've been experimenting with doing live. On my other show, The Sci-Fi Diner, we've been doing it pretty successfully. And so we're going to do that. So if you want to join the conversation, pay attention to the dates we're going to be recording, when that is. And... Um, We'll be monitoring the chat room. You can be watching us live as we uh, record. Not that we're that great to look at, <laughs> but you can interact with us and be a part of the conversation and, and even chime in live and give your two cents as we're going along. Yeah, it'll be, it'll, it'll be, be it'll, 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 and the, the, way, the URL for that will be the dudesagapodcast.com backslash live, which doesn't exist yet, but it will exist by that time. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, once again, for the Dune Saga podcast, I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood, and may Shai Halud clear the path before you.